Father, we rejoice in Your presence, Lord. Our hearts now are fertile soil for the seed of Your Word to come in and give birth to faith, to give birth to repentance, to give birth to hope, to give birth to joy. I'm reminded, Lord, of that passage in Isaiah. It says, To this one I will look. To him who is humble, 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 contrite of spirit, and who trembles at My Word. Saint, do you tremble at His Word? Do you come today in reverence, respect, humility, faith in His Word? Turn in your Bibles to Romans. Let's stand together. Romans 13. Romans 13. The Word of the Lord says in verse 8 in the ESV, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Don't we need love today, folks? A lot of hate. A lot of division. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Don't you want to fulfill the law? Verse 9, For the commandments shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, <laughs> just put them all in there, are summed up in this word. It's cool because it says this word, but it's a phrase. So you get prophetic word. This is a word, but it's a phrase, or it's a message, or it's a, me or it's a song. So, singular word can, can refer to a plural message. Did you get that? That was good. That was good. I never said that before. A, singu uh, this is the word, a singular, the word word, singular, can be a plural message. And here's the word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. So if you do wrong to somebody, you're not loving them. That's simple enough. Therefore, love is... The fulfilling of the law. It fulfills it all. Fills it all up. Verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Church, wake up. Wake up. World, wake up. Wake up. Say, wake up. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Say, what does that mean? Well, remember, salvation is justification, sanctification, glorification. Sanctification is already taken care of, or justification is already taken care of. Sanctification is happening. Glorification is to come. As we get closer to Christ's return, your salvation is even nearer. You're getting nearer to fuller sanctification. You're getting nearer to glorification. That's good news, folks. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off we're going to talk today about putting on, putting off. Cast off the works of darkness and put on, okay? What are you putting on? Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. It's daytime, folks. It's daytime. It's dark out there, but it's light in here. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on. Say, put on. The Lord Jesus Christ. Say it as repeat after me. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
Lord, anoint now your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, remember, sermon notes are out in the lobby. They're also available on the app if you want to follow along. We're going to look at three things today. Three ways, three areas you need and I need to put on. You see, every morning when you wake up, you have a choice what you're going to put on. You can put on a jacket, you can put on your pants, you can put on whatever you're going to wear. Physically, you and I have a choice what we're going to put on, right? But more important than what you put on physically is what you and I put on mentally, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. You can put on bad thoughts, you can put on discouragement, or you can put on praise. You can put on selfishness or you can put on love. You can put on pride or you can put on humility. Every day, you and I have a choice what we put on. Ephesians 4 is a good companion passage to this because it talks about put off the old, put on the new. Today, we're going to learn three areas that we're to put on. But before that, let me give you a quick review of Romans. Some of you are new to this study. We've been in Romans now 29, 30 weeks. I don't even know what part this is. We've learned in this book a lot. And this book needs to be understood as a whole. Chapter 1, righteousness missed. Or I'm sorry, righteousness expected. God is holy. And he says the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. He expects holiness. He expects righteousness. You can't get to God unless you're righteous. Chapter 3, we miss it. Righteousness missed. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You and I cannot get to His righteousness on our own. No amount of works, no amount of religion, no amount of trying hard can get you to God. Do you understand that? The most misunderstood area of biblical teaching in America today is people thinking they're made right with God by their good works. Thinking they get to heaven by their good works. Thinking they get to, they'll be accepted by God based on what they do. Beloved, Christianity is not spelled do, it's spelled done. It's been done by Jesus. So righteousness is provided, chapters 4 through 11, by the work of Christ. His shed blood. His death. His resurrection. Do I hear an amen? amen. It's been provided for you. It's available to you. Once you receive the gift of salvation and you are justified by faith in Christ alone, then chapter 12 and following is righteousness expressed. It's living out who you are. It's not doing these things to get acceptable to God. You're already acceptable to God based upon the work of the cross. You live holy because you are holy. You love others because you are loved. You live righteous because you are righteous. You don't live righteous to become righteous. You are already righteous if you're in Jesus. Do you get that? So 12 and following. So you don't just isolate a chapter like this without what's come before it. Otherwise, you're going, to be, you're going to fall into a works righteousness. You're going to fall into a performance orientation. You're going to fall into legalism. If you just take these do passages or these don't passages and you divorce them from the rest of the book. We are called to live this way because of who we are and whose we are. So there's three areas in this chapter that we're going to be, or in this section of Scripture, that we're going to be told to put on. Put on love. Put on light. And put on Jesus. Put on love. The Bible says that love is really the summary of all the Scriptures. God is love. We love because He first loved us. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is 
love. This is how they will know you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. If there's anything that should manifest in a Christian's life, it is love. Love for God, love for others. The reason Jesus said you could fulfill all of the law, or you could summarize all of the law by love God and love others, think about it. Just take the Ten Commandments. If you love God, then you're going to obey the first four commandments. You're not going to have any other gods before Him. You're not going to create an image or a likeness of God. You're not going to take the name of the Lord in vain. You're going to obey the Sabbath day to keep it holy, because you love God. If you love your neighbor, you're going, to, you're going to obey the next six commandments. Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't, don't covet, you see? It will naturally flow from loving God and loving others. Isn't that awesome? You summarize all of the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation. Everything can be summarized. Love God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, you can't love Him if you don't know how much He loves you. So it starts with an understanding of God's love for you, His unconditional love, His sacrificial love, His everlasting love. We saw that in Romans 8, didn't we? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So it's as you understand how much He's loved you, and you receive that and believe that and ingest that and internalize that, what will result? You'll love God back. How, you can't help but love the God if you know the true God because He loves you with an everlasting love. And He demonstrated at the cross of His Son. A counselor in Chicago told me once, I spend 90% of my time counseling people just trying to convince them that God loves them. Because I, if, I know that if they know that God loves them, about 80% of their problems will go away. So it's as we understand His love, receive His love, then what, what results in that is you begin to love God, and because you love Him, you begin to love others. Put on love. Put on love. The world needs to see the church being a loving group of people. Next week's message, Romans 14, when Christians can't get along, don't miss it. They had problems getting along back then. We have problems getting along today. But I'll tell you, the secret is if we keep the main thing the main thing, then those things that typically divide us will just become insignificant. And that's one of our mottos here, right? Unity in the essentials. Allow diversity in the non-essentials. Exhibit love in all things. That's how we stay unified despite our differences, is putting our focus on Jesus, putting our focus on the cross, keeping the gospel front and center. Now in this passage, when he talks about put on love, he then mentions some commands, some sins. Notice that I haven't touched on that until you have the proper context and the proper foundation. You don't just go talking about these things we're not to do without talking about the, the motivation to not do them. So what is love? Love is doing the highest good for the other regardless of the cost to self. We've talked about that definition over and over and over, and it, it passes every test you can put the, 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 how you understand love through. Now watch this. There's two sides to love. In this passage, it says love does no wrong to his neighbor, right? So love doesn't do something that hurts another, but love goes beyond that, and it does that which will benefit its neighbor. Okay? So you don't do anything that would hurt your neighbor, but you do that which will benefit the highest good for your neighbor. And by the way, the greatest way you can love a person is share the gospel with them. 
Because the greatest thing people need is Jesus. So the highest good for the other is salvation. So the greatest way to love somebody is to share with them Jesus and how to be saved. So notice the, 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 the prohibitions here. It says, love does no wrong to his neighbor, therefore love doesn't commit adultery. Because if I commit adultery, I'm doing harm to my spouse, I'm doing harm to the person's spouse that I'm having the affair with, I'm doing harm to my children, and all of the domino effect that adultery will bring. The positive, best defense against sin is a good offense, offense of loving my wife, having a healthy marriage, maintaining a healthy sex life. Yes, you heard it here. Because the best defense against an affair is the, is the offense of a healthy love relationship with my spouse. That's why 1 Corinthians 6 says, Hello, don't deprive one another, except for a season, lest Satan tempt you. Then it says, don't commit murder. If I murder, I'm hurting that person. I'm hurting all the people that that's going to be missed because I killed them. I'm hurting myself. See that? See how that works? Love doesn't steal. Because stealing is taking something that belongs to another. If I do that, I'm hurting them. And I'm hurting myself because I'm getting something God didn't intend me to get. At least He didn't intend me to get it that way. Who's the one who provides all of our needs? So if He wants me to have it and I ask Him for it and He doesn't give it to me, then I guess I'm supposed to be content without it. Hello? <laughs> Love doesn't covet. Because coveting is wanting something that I don't have. If you want something that you don't have, where do you go? James says, ask God. And if God says no, then you're to be content without it. Because your life comes from Him, not from that thing that you wanted. Now, we need a baptism of love today. We need a baptism of love. You see, if we understand the amazing love of God, then we will begin to see people different. And that's what we need today. In this hate-filled world, in this divided world, to be able to see people through the eyes of God, all people are created in His image, to look beyond the fleshly differences, to look beyond color of skin, ethnicity, political affiliation, sports teams, loyalties. Oh, I can't love them, they're a Gator fan. Come on. I can't love them, they're Republican. I can't love them, they're going for Biden. I can't love them, they're going for Trump. Oh, my goodness. Get your eyes off of that other stuff. Look beyond that. Okay, here's a challenging one. Now listen close. I don't want to be misquoted. Love means you accept the person right where they're at even if they've got sin in their life. Well, wait, Pastor. We're to speak out against sin. We're to be about truth and grace. Okay? So I look beyond the sin. I love the sinner because that's exactly what Jesus did with you and with me. If I require somebody to change before I'm loving them, then I'm loving them in a way that God doesn't love them. It doesn't mean sin doesn't matter. It does matter. But how did Jesus deal with that with the woman caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. So yes, He called sin, sin. Neither do I condemn you. He accepted her right where she was. Because when you accept somebody where they are, that's when you earn the right to be heard. And it will allow their heart to be open to the gospel. And who's the only one who can change their behavior? Ultimately, God. You see? So that person is behaving in a way you don't agree with. That person endorses a, a belief that you don't agree with. That person has a morality that you know is against the Word of God. 
big deal in terms of accepting and loving them. I didn't say big deal what they did. Sin does matter. But we first must love the person right where they're at because that's what God did with us. And it's His love that then transforms our heart so that He can change us from the inside out. You know what, beloved? <laughs> Why would we ever expect a non-believer to act like a believer? We can't even get believers to act like believers. <laughs> So why would we expect non-believers to act like believers? And yet so often we withhold loving until they change their behavior. Praise God, He doesn't do that with us. And we are to be His representatives. We need God to baptize us with His love. And so today, the first thing He says you're to put on, put on love. There's a lot of jackets here I can put on. There's a lot of coats here that I think, Woo, that's going to make me look good. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. This one looks good. Yeah, what? Look at this. Doesn't fit me. Way too big. Way too big. I mean, I think it's going to meet a need in my life. I think it's going to fulfill something in my life, but it just doesn't fit. And then I think, you know, I've always wanted to be in the military. Because if I could just have that military look, man, I know then people will think I'm something. And I'll get the respect that's due me. This isn't mine. It's not mine. There's one jacket up here. Oh, fits me perfect. Tailor-made. Most comfortable, fits me, perfect. This is the love of God. And I first have to put on His love, and when I put on His love, only then will I be able to love others the way He's called me to. And that's the message of this passage. Now I want to read to you a word that was given by one of the members of our prayer team that I think is right on the money, so listen closely. My children, you are in the throes of the great shaking. Far too long, my commandments have been treated as a checklist, something to do. Check off and then move to the next thing. My commands are the laws of life and are summed up by loving your neighbor as yourself. Many of you struggle in this area because you don't love yourself because you aren't receiving my love. Stop. Stop what you're doing and see yourself as I see you. The peace I will give you allows you to see others as I see them. Once you see yourself clearly through my word, ask me for the grace to enable you to see life as others do through their eyes. What you see as the good old days may well be a time of great pain and personal tragedy for others. Don't be concerned or afraid of what you're witnessing around you. The life built on my word will not be destroyed when the great shaking is done. Only those whose life is built on lies, deceit, willful blindness, and hate for others will be destroyed. And that destruction will be beyond anything you've ever seen before. The second area that this passage calls us to put on is put on light. Put on light. Folks, we live in a very dark world, don't we? I, I, I'm not sure that I've seen a time when I've had more really solid believers. I'm not talking, you know, lukewarm believers, worldly believers, shallow believers. I'm talking like solid believers that have said, Pastor, this is really tough. I just feel this cloud of despair. Had a woman this week say she's just overcome with fear and she's not typically a fearful person. Fearful of the virus. Fearful of just a lot of things right now. And it's crippling. Fear is crippling. 
And I believe that the enemy has got a longer leash than he's had in a long time. You know, Satan can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. Even with Job. Remember that? But I think God can sometimes extend the leash. These are trying times. These are the world's being shaken. We don't know what's going to happen with this virus. We really don't, do we? I mean, it could be like a biblical plague that literally annihilates three-fourths of the world population. I mean, that could happen. That could happen. You say, well, you're making me more fearful, Pastor. Well, I'm not me. I'm tending to do that. I'm just telling you that, there is a, that there's, a, there's a spirit of heaviness that a lot of people are experiencing right now. And if you're in that category, you're not alone. Okay? So take heart today. I'm speaking what you're, some of you are experiencing. The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. The Bible says that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that the sign of the end times is there, there's going to be some perilous, perilous, perilous times. That, that, that Satan will be unleashed in such a way that if it be possible, even the elect would be led astray. When the Antichrist emerges, and whether we go through the Great Tribulation or not, I say this, be ready. Pray for, po- pray for pre-trib rapture, but be prepared for post-trib rapture. Did you get that? Pray for pre-trib, be prepared for post-trib. Be prepared to go through it, because we may. We may have to go through it. In any case, these are tough times. This, these are dark days. And this passage says, what do you do during dark days? You wake up! This is not a time to slumber. It's not a time to sleep. It's not a time to be lukewarm. It's not a time to be out of the Word of God. And it's not a time to get involved in worldly behavior. And He's going to warn us here. This is strong language, folks. Get ready. If it convicts you, just let me remind you. God never convicts you to beat you up. He convicts you that you might confess it, repent of it, go to the cross with it, and that your heart may be renewed. Acts 3, repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. You need to know this. Satan condemns. Satan beats you up. Satan says you're a loser. Satan says stay down. Satan says there's no hope for you. Satan says throw in the towel. God says, I convict you. I'm pointing this out to you because I love you that you might repent of it and then receive my fresh cleansing, my fresh forgiveness, my fresh love, and times of refreshing may come from the hand of the Lord. It's important that you understand that. Earl, you know this well. Involved in our Fresh Wind Addiction Recovery Ministry, one of the hardest things for Earl and Jerry is when a guy falls back into his addiction and maybe gets kicked out of the program because we have some high standards, and we have to, knowing that when they walk out of this building, they may either literally OD or commit suicide. There was a brother recently in our program who relapsed. We found in his car a noose that he was going to hang himself with. Praise God he hasn't done that and pray he doesn't. That's how serious it is what we do here every day. What happens in this building every day is life and death. It is. Literally life and death. And there's life and death in this room right now. There's life and death online right now. There's life and death in that car, in that living room, on that beach, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening, there's life and death. Because what does sin do? Sin leads to death. Submission to God leads to life. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. 
Sin leads to death. Repentance leads to life. Pride leads to death. Humility leads to life. And God offers you life today. God offers you hope today. God offers you abundant life. God offers you victory. God offers you forgiveness. God offers you the power of the Holy Spirit. So in this passage, he says, look, it's time to put off the deeds of darkness. Put off the things that the world does. It might look good. It might make you impressive before others. It might meet a temporary need in your life or want. It's not, it doesn't ultimately mean a need. It means a want. You have a want that you choose to send to get met. God offers to meet your needs at a deep heart level. So look at some of these sins that are mentioned. There's nothing new under the sun. They struggle with these sins then. We struggle with them now. They're all around us. And they may temporarily make you feel good. But they only lead to death, destruction, and could lead to ultimately hell. Orgies. Look at the list. Orgies. Drunkenness. Sexual immorality. This reminds me of the old Jimmy Buffett song. It's a fine line between Saturday night and Sunday morning. <laughs> if you're downtown on Saturday night doing stuff you ought not do, that's a terrible witness. Now you're welcome here on Sunday anytime, anyhow, anyway. But if you're living a hypocritical life, if you're pretending to be one thing here on Sunday and you live another way during the week, God calls you to repentance. Sexual immorality includes everything outside of a one-man, one-woman marital relationship. Hello. I don't care if this is popular. I don't care if this is politically correct. I'd rather be biblically correct. Sex is a beautiful thing created by God Almighty. It's beautiful when it's in the right context. It's like fire. Fire can warm you. Fire can cook your food. But you take that fire out of the context it's supposed to be and it'll burn your house down. Any sex outside of a one-man, one-woman marital relationship is out of the will of God. That includes, listen closely, premarital sex, pornography, homosexual sex, Adultery, transgender sex, any other sex outside of a one-man, one-woman marital relationship is sin and needs to be repented of. Quarreling. This is a person who just loves an argument. Know anybody like that? It's usually due to pride and wanting to prove their knowledge and superiority. Come on. It's to make them look better than the other. That's what quarreling is. Many are guilty of this on social media. One of the best things you can do to avoid sinning on social media is the 24-hour rule. Wait 24 hours before ever responding to something you disagree with on social media. I was doing the Proverbs challenge this week for a decision that my wife and I needed to make. By the way, anytime I say that, I've gotten emails. It's not about leaving here, okay? <laughs> I'm not even considering leaving here. I pray God lets me stay at Living Hope till I am buried. But uh, it was a different decision. We were doing the Proverbs challenge, and I ran across Proverbs 17, 19. He who loves a quarrel loves sin. Ooh. That's brought up again in chapter 14, because it's when Christians can't get along next week. Come back. The other sin he mentions here is jealousy. Wanting what others have. See, these are, these are activities of the world. These are things that we are to put off so we can put on light. 
We can be the light of the world. We can be representatives of Jesus. And so, yes, those sins and temptations are strong. And if you fall into them, repent quickly. But he's calling us to live holy lives here. Now, C.S. Lewis has a great quote about sin, and I love this. Listen closely. He says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What he means by that is we're far too easily pleased by sin, by things of the world, by things that Satan brings at us. The very list we've talked about, and there's many others. We're far too easily pleased by that. He's saying we are offered a a holiday at the sea. We're offered joy indescribable and full of glory. We're offered fulfillment and love that the world has never known in Jesus That's what we're offered. And the more we pursue Him, the less we're going to want to sin. I did not say you won't want to sin. I said the less you'll want to sin. Amen, Jerry? All right. So the final area, and this is important, the most important point, put on Jesus. Put on Jesus. Listen, the best best defense against sin (laughs) is an offensive relationship with Jesus. This is the jacket that fits best, that's most comfortable, that's made for me. It's Jesus. Because here's love, here's light, here's acceptance, here's everything I need for life and godliness. Already provided, already paid, already made. I just got to put it on. And so the final verse here is so important. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you put on Jesus? You seek His face. You spend time in His Word. You spend time in worship. You spend time with other believers. You you meditate on the Word. You spend time in prayer. Not just talking prayer, but listening prayer. Where you're listening to the Holy Spirit. You're listening to His still small voice. You are growing in love with Jesus. And if you're pursuing Him, you're seeking Him, you're growing in Him, guess what? You're going to want to sin less and less. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I didn't say you won't still be tempted. I didn't say that you won't have the enemy after you. You will. But your desire, your passion, your heart will be to know God, love God, please Jesus, obey Him out of that love relationship. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The best defense against sin is the offense of a loving, growing, dynamic, spirit-filled relationship with Jesus. Now we'll conclude with this. It's interesting in verse 13 that he doesn't avoid the steps we need to take to take precautions against sin and temptation. Did you see that? Look at that last verse. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. See, if you just focus, listen, if you just focus on make no provision for the flesh, then you'll fall into legalism. It'll be about rules. It'll be about, oh my goodness, I can't do anything. I, I, I can't dare watch that movie. I might, I might, I might lust. I, I can't, I, you know, you're just paranoid because all you're focusing on is what you should not do. Now there's a place, there's a place for that. But here's what I believe. I believe 80% of your energy should be on putting on Jesus. And 20% be on making no provision for the flesh. Now, let me give you a little tip here. This is in my book, Serving with Passion. 
on passion for purity. Every one of us have at least one fatal flaw. What's a fatal flaw? A fatal flaw is that area of your life where you're most prone to fall or be tempted in or to slip into. I believe most people have at least two fatal flaws. Okay? It's an area that it may be greed. It may be materialism. It may be an excess of, of, of an addiction to sports. Or it may be uh, alcoholism. It may be, what, it may be sexual immorality. It may be porn. But, but it's that area that you're most vulnerable to. You know, there's certain temptations. They don't even phase me. I'm just, it's like, it, you, it just doesn't phase me. And then there's others. It's like, you know, that's kind of attractive to something in me that it would be drawn to that. It's Hebrews 12. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles you. So we all have an area or two or three that we're, we have a propensity to be entangled by. It just can get around us. and You see? So it's important that you identify your fatal flaws and that you take precautions to not create an environment whereby you're going to be more drawn to your fatal flaws. See what I mean? So if porn is your fatal flaw, and you know that going on the internet, being on your computer makes you more prone because you have these pop-ups or whatever, take precautions. Make no provision for that. Get an accountability. Get one of those programs where it's an accountability thing. I'm, I'm an accountability partner for a guy right now. Unfortunately, about every day I've gotten a warning. Like he went to this site. He went, dude, what are you doing? You see, but at least he's putting that in place. Okay? If you know that going downtown and going to the bar, look, I don't believe drinking alcohol is a sin in and of itself. Jesus turned water to wine, not wine to water. But drunkenness is clearly sin. But if you know that one drink's going to lead to two, going to lead to three, going to lead to all kinds of other stuff, then don't drink in one drink. And don't go where you know you're going to be tempted. Okay, that's just common sense, but we don't do that. If you know that watching this movie is going to have this scene or two in there and it's going to cause you to just have a domino effect in terms of lust and all that, then don't watch it. That's what he's talking about. Okay, that's 20%. There's a place for that. He says, make no provision. Okay? It's a trap. If you, if you step there, you're, you're stepping into a trap, and it's going to often lead to this and this and this. You know that guy, I don't remember if it was New York or... Who's the, the guy that I heard about in the news? He had a pet tiger, and it killed him. And I love the, the article that I read about it. said, he became so familiar with the tiger, he forgot how dangerous it was. And sometimes we can become so familiar with our fatal flaw or with the things that the world says is acceptable, but God says is not, we can forget how dangerous it is. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Are you putting on Jesus? Are you seeking God? Are you spending time with the Lord? You're reading stuff that stokes your love for God. You're growing in sanctification. You're learning more about His nature. You're growing in the, in the filling of the Holy Spirit because you can't do any of this without Him. Put on love. Put on light. Put on Jesus. Where do we see this best expressed? At the cross of Jesus. 
For at the cross, His perfect love was demonstrated. Greater love hath no man than this, that He lay down His life for His friends. Where do we see the light of the glory of the gospel the best? At the cross of Jesus. At the cross, at the empty tomb, where He was flogged and beaten and rejected and ridiculed and spit upon. But He rose again for you and me. Put on Jesus. Put on the gospel. Let God convict you today if there's something in your life that's not right with Him. If you've not received Jesus, receive Him today, wherever you are. Don't put it off. Let me give this final word from our prayer team. When you love me, you do what I say. In order to do what I say, you've got to get to know me. How do you know me? My word describes me. But you must seek me and listen to me to know me. Wake up, church. I'm the Spirit in you. Every chance you get, listen to what I'm saying to you for you and for others. It's the most important part. You can't skip knowing me and expect to overcome or endure. Many have it backwards. They believe they must achieve a certain level of righteousness to encounter me. No. You can do nothing good apart from knowing me. You know the Scriptures. The time for my return is drawing near. Come to me, the one that Scripture points to. Come and sit with me. Listen. I will clothe you with my presence. I will heal you. I will show you secrets you don't know. I will set you free and teach you. I will transform your life and restore it. Just come. Come. Worship team, if you'd come on up, please. We're going to end a little different than usual. We're going to end with one more song of high praise. And listen to this as you prepare for your response. There is beauty in our brokenness. You can have joy instead of mourning. Put on the garment of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. I'm trading my sorrows. What the locust has destroyed, God can restore. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Church, listen. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. Goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. They're chasing after you. Goodness and mercy are chasing after you to run you down and to have you experience. If you're saved today, you are free. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are empowered. You are valuable. You are a child of the living God. You are righteous in Jesus. And all of this gives us cause to rejoice. I want you to stand with me as you prepare to respond in praise. I believe some of you are going to be set free in a new way today. Heaviness taken off. Joy and strength given to you. Listen, something you have not been able to do after today, you're going to be able to do it. <laughs> it may be an area of obedience. It may be generosity. It may be witnessing. It may be forgiving someone. It may be loving someone who's hard to love. It may be giving up a sinful habit. I speak, I declare over you today that something you've not been able to do, you're going to be able to do because of today. And it'll happen as you praise Him. It'll happen as you receive the Holy Spirit in a new way. It'll happen as you release the burden, take off the old, put on the new, worship Him, praise Him. Father, in Jesus' name, I speak Your Word over Your people today. 
And I pray that we will put this into practice by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.